0: well good morning everybody Good morning. welcome to gospel saving church it's good to be in the house of the lord amen? Amen. amen amen welcome everybody coming to gospel saving church sitting in my home in mckinney texas and welcome to all you coming from soundcloud all over the world i welcome you here too as part of my congregation praise be to god it's a, the last day of may And uh, here in McKinney, Texas, it's actually, there's not, there's no forecast of rain. So hallelujah, we're, we look like we're going to have some dry spells here. It has been raining so much here, but thanks be to God that he's stopped the rain, we hope here. Anyway, um, praise be to God. If uh, you guys want to join me in a word of prayer and then we'll get to my (laughs) thoughts from last week's message. Uh, So before we start everything though, of course, let's ask the Lord to bless our time and help our ears and uh, pray the Holy Spirit would teach us. So if uh, you join me, please, Lord Jesus, dear God Almighty in heaven, we thank you so much, dear God, for bringing us here today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for helping us to get through your word and understand your word, Lord, because as we seek, Lord, we know that, Lord, without your Holy Spirit leading us, without your Holy Spirit teaching us, Lord God, we cannot understand your word. That's what your word said. Your, your, your word says that your word is spiritually discerned. So, Lord, the only way we can even understand your word is unless you help us understand it by your Holy Spirit, because our fleshly minds cannot understand your word. So we ask today, Lord God, that you would help our minds, our physical and our spiritual minds, Lord God, understand your word, not by my mouth, Lord God, but by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand what you have to say to us today. Lord, we know you can. Lord, it's your word and you are spirit. God, for you are spirit. And you seek those to worship you in spirit and truth. So Lord, we pray today that our service here, that our worship unto you here today, Lord, that our listening to you today, that our intentness today, Lord, would be our worship in the spirit of you, Lord God, as we sit here. I pray you teach us. Lord, help us keep all the distractions out of this out of this house, Lord. Keep all the distractions out of the people's lives, Lord God, that are listening to this message, Lord God. May it be just a pure time of a, whatever it is, a 50 minutes to an hour, Lord, that they could just sit and meditate and think about you. And Lord, thank you so much. And we know you're going to answer these prayers, Lord God, because they're according to your will or the things that you want. So we praise you and we thank you and we love you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So our chapter and verses, if you guys want to get to it today, and while you know, as I'm going through my thoughts from last week, is uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, and I'm not going to read it just yet. I'm going to you know recap my last week's message real quick, and you know just a few short minutes, and just kind of get our minds ready for you know the new message. So my thoughts from last week's message: Which path are you on? I hope that anyone, whether in my home or on online or wherever you're coming from. I hope anyone that listened to last week's message really considered the path that they were on with God. And if you didn't listen to last week's message, if you're just tuning in this week and you have not listened to which path are you on, I want to encourage you to go back to that message and even listen to that message and really consider the path that you are on with God. Because... God nor Christ wasted their words, not one word in the Bible, when it came to talking about people that can have eternal life. God didn't waste His words, period. But He especially didn't waste His words when He was talking to people about eternal life. And last week's message, Which Path Are You On?, had Jesus Christ's teaching about our eternal life and how we can have eternal life on it. In big, bold words, the whole teaching had just this emphasis on how we can have eternal life. The Bible really, to me, I, the way I read the Bible, for 15 years I've been reading the Bible, the number one thing that God cares about in the Bible, the number one focus, His number one top priority in the Bible, is people's eternal life. Last week's message, Jesus addressed the blessings and eternal life that go to those that turn to Him. Stay faithful watchful and repentant until their end or until he returned. And he also addressed the unfortunate and terrible consequences of those that will come to him and not remain repentant and faithful and watchful until their end or until he returns. There's always two paths when it comes to Christ. There's always two paths when it comes to life. There's always a path of life and there's always a path of death. And Jesus addressed those last week. And again, this topic to him was a a famous, was a popular one to him, was a very, was a very, you know, top priority one to him. And uh, so since it was a top priority to him, I hope and pray that you will consider it a top priority to you as well. How can you do that? How can you even know what path you're on? I mean, how do we know? Right? How, what 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 can we do? Well, the Bible says that we can test ourselves. Uh, the Apostle Paul said in in the, to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians thirteen five. He says, "Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? What was he saying? Why would they have been disqualified? How? Could they have been disqualified? What does it mean to be disqualified? Well, being disqualified means that you have left the first path or that, or that they weren't on the first path anymore and that they had fallen to the second path. Jesus Christ <laughs> talked about last week in our message, which path are you on? They had fallen off the first path and gone on to the second path, the one where they had lost faith. They had fallen off and they had backslidden away from God, away from Christ, and they had lost the faith. So, just remember, God loves you so very much. Me and everybody on the face of the planet, He loves so much. And He wants us to be with Him forever. So, please, one way that you test yourselves by the Word of God is you go to the Word of God. You read the Word of God. And you ask, as you read the Word of God, you ask God and say, God, would you please show me if I'm on that first path that Jesus Christ talked about in that sermon? Would you show me that if I'm if I'm still on the true path of faith, or would you show me if I've backslidden off? And then as you read the word, God will show you either A, your life will line up with path one of last week's message, or your life will match up with path two. And so it's important. You know, it's like I talked about last week in the intro to last week. It's the most important question that you could ask yourselves in this life is where will I spend my eternal life? This life is so temporal. Our eternal life is forever. Alright, well praise God. Let's get on to our next message, our brand new message of today. The title of our new sermon is, The Wise and the Foolish Virgins. Again, title of today's message, The Wise and the Foolish Virgins. Before I read that verse, before I read these 13 uh, verses, I want to just recap. In last week's message, We covered Jesus' first illustration. Remember how I told you about how this topic was big to Jesus, right? And he gave these two consecutive illustrations on those that come to him must remain watchful. Remember, he encouraged those in last week's message, hey, be faithful, be watchful. And, you know, watchful means faithful and repentance. So last week's message was his first illustration on that important topic of staying watchful in your life if you're with Christ, and faithful and repentant in living a lifestyle like that until he comes. <clears throat> and today we get his second message in this very important topic that he discussed last week. So important, as we'll, and we'll talk about it at the end, that he repeated himself twice. And we'll see that as we read our verses here. So Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. If you want to join me, we're going to read them, <clears throat> and then uh, I'll teach them. He goes on to say in his second teaching, this second illustration, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered in saying, No, least there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, he closes with here, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So I want you to cleanse your spiritual mind and your, and your mental mind. Cleanse your palates. Okay? Because when I first started reading this over, when I first started going through it to teach on it, I, I kept thinking in my mind, Master Servant. Master servant. Master servant. Remember last week's message was all about Jesus talking about the master and then the servant. You know, there was a faith there was a servant and he he was faithful, or then, you know, if he if he became, you know, unfaithful or he lost faith and he became, you know, the foolish servant. You know, well, we gotta cleanse our mind. It's a brand new illustration, but with the same thrust, the same Hey guys, watch therefore. Live the watchful lifestyle. Live that faithful and repentant lifestyle until I come back. Jesus uses a completely different different illustration this week with a parable. It's the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins and instead of the master servant, now we're on to the parable another illustration that's all a parable was an illustration of a wise now the wise and foolish virgins waiting on the bridegroom to come. This week we just read Jesus say that the kingdom of heaven is like a bridegroom and he's got these ten virgins that are waiting for him. Five are foolish and five are wise. There is a neat little nugget here that I'd like to point out before we move forward into the whole message. And I want you to think about this. Those, I mean, I love studying the Bible and maybe you've seen this, but God just showed this to me when I was studying for this message. You see, as I just said, we just read last week's message of Jesus telling us about those that come to him, you know, thrusting, hey yeah, guys, live faithful, live watchful, live repentant until I come back and, you know, then you'll make it. And But he used two different illustrations to illustrate this same point. Last week, master, servant. This week, bridegroom and virgins in these both these illustrations. And in both these illustrations, remember, and as you're going to see here as I'll teach it, in both these illustrations, there was the Lord Jesus. He was one character in these illustrations. He was the master last week. He's going to be the bridegroom this week. And we, both the illustrations have both another character. Last week, the servants were Christian, was an example of Christians and the paths that they could take. And this week, the Christians are the virgins. Did Jesus choose the master servant bridegroom virgin illustrations just by chance did he just grab them out of the air and say oh you know that's, that, that, that seems good to me to do well I don't think so I see Jesus making an awesome point here it's a deep point that God showed me and I had never seen it before when you stand back and you look at the, at the big picture of both these ideals both these illustrations that he gives on, these, on this one teaching I see a bigger point what is that point? Well, the Bible says that Jesus can't just be your Savior. He must also be your Lord. Okay? So in one, in one we have the parable of a bridegroom, which is an intimate relationship. We have bridegroom virgins. That's an intimate relationship, right? And then the other one, we have the master-servant or Lord-servant. Okay? Each one of these illustrations represents the two key aspects that God wants to have with those that come to him. we He just can't be our Lord, okay? If he's Lord, then he's only master, he's only Lord, he's only dictator, and we have to serve him because if we don't, oh, he's going to whip my back, oh, Lord. And if he's just Savior or just husband, then it's like, oh, I just love him, oh, you know, so if he's just Lord, you have to only obey him or else death. And if he's just husband, oh, I just have to love him. And you don't really have to obey him. He's just just, just the one that you love. He has to be both master and savior, or he has to be both Lord and husband to you in your life. In both these illustrations, he shows this. He shows us relationship in one, and it's the one we're going to study today. And he shows ownership or lordship in the first one. Again, I just thought that was a neat little nugget that you could chew on. God showed me that. I thought, wow, you know, I looked at him from kind of a, I stepped back and looked at both of them. And I thought, wow, well, both of them, God just showed me. It's like just a little revelation that I got. Yeah, both of those are just the relationships that I want to have with you. It's, it's got to work as both, not just one, but it has to be both. Interesting. Okay, I just wanted you to chew on that one. I hope you find it interesting. Back to Jesus' parable for today. So here, as I just said, Jesus parallels his point of the Christian staying watchful or repentant and faithful until he returns with a bridegroom and virgins analogy or illustration. Bible says that Jesus is the bridegroom and all Christians are the virgins that are waiting for their soon-to-be husband, Jesus Christ, to return. Remember, when Jesus comes back, he's going to pull all Christians and we're going to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb where Jesus is going to marry the Christian church and who makes up the Christian church but Christians. Okay, So Christians are the virgins here and the bridegroom is Jesus Christ. Now a majority, many, I should say, or a majority of Bible teachers, especially on the Reformed side of theology, would say that These uh, will probably tell you that these five foolish versions aren't saved Christians, as I just said they are. But again, they're coming from a standpoint of once you are saved, once you are sealed by God, you can never not be saved. If you're really saved, you're going to persevere, you're going to, you know, and you can never walk away from God. But yet here, just a little, you know, as we're getting setting setting up our context here, as I want you to picture who these people really are, and get the and again we got to see the blessings and then also the dangers of you know the reality of what Scripture says. If these people that were the foolish Christians or the foolish virgins weren't really saved and they weren't really Christians, then why in the world does Jesus say and call them virgins? This word in the Greek, I don't I hope I don't mess this up for any Greek scholars out there is Parthia, or Parthenus or Parthenos, okay? And it simply means, there's about four or five definitions, but I narrowed them down to two that really encompass everything. The word virgin that Jesus says here is either just someone that has not had intercourse with another, a woman or man who hasn't had intercourse or sex with a man or a woman, you know, they have, they've kept themselves pure, and they're waiting to be married, or on the spiritual side, It's a man or woman who has abstained from all uncleanness and whoredom and has also kept their chastity. So Jesus calls these five wise and five foolish virgins, still he still calls them virgins, which means if we're looking at it spiritual, because this is like a spiritual parable, okay? A virgin is someone who's abstained from all uncleanness and whoredom. That is somebody that's taken a step of repentance, That's not just uh, some random guy off the street that has no idea who God is. This is a virgin, Jesus calls them, that's kept themselves, uh, you know, clean. Kept themselves from all uncleanness and whoredom and and kept themselves chaste, okay? Which means kept themselves pure. And that's like somebody that's in Christ. Somebody that's in Christ turns from their sin and turns to God and becomes pure because of Christ's righteousness. And here, Jesus says that they're all virgins. But some are wise and some are foolish. So the virgin Jesus speaks of here is someone who's taken the step of faith, taken the step of repentance, and turned their lives to God. That's what I see. That's what the Word shows me. That's what the Scripture exegetes to me. So I believe the Bible supports Jesus here being both the spiritual bridegroom and the saved Christians being the 10 virgins both the unwise or the are the foolish and the faithful or the wise so now that we've established these details let's look at the details of Jesus's illustration in this parable to see just what he's saying about these 10 virgins that are waiting for him to return all right i'm going to interpret this parable it might not be what you've been taught before on this scripture but it is biblical i promise <laughs> But no matter what the interpretation is of this scripture, no matter how I interpret it, I should say, whether you agree with all my interpretations or not, I don't want you to lose the sight of this main point that Jesus is making. What is the main point that he's making in both these parables? If you've been saved, if you are a Christian, if God has saved you, then you need to live a lifestyle being watchful, faithful, and repentant until you die or he comes back to get you and take you to heaven. So now that we got the little neat details out there, let's look at this parable. Go back to verse 1 with me and let's read verse 1 again. He says again in verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So he says again, kingdom of heaven. Like two virgins or ten virgins, excuse me, or Christians who have lamps and that are going out and they're going out to meet Jesus Christ because we know he's the bridegroom. So these Christians, I believe, take their lamps and they go out to their coming husband or they go out and wait for Jesus to return. What is the lamp here? What is the light that Jesus is referring to that these ten Christians all have? Because notice all ten virgins, even though five are wise and five are foolish, they all have a light. They all have a lamp that they are obviously they have, so they were given. Matthew has the answer. Matthew five, fourteen through sixteen says, Jesus is speaking to his followers. He's speaking to Christians here, and he says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it underneath a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. So he's talking about a light that's shining that everybody can see. He says in verse 16 now, Let your light, so now they have a light, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we see here, Matthew 5, 14-16, Jesus says... That Christians are those that follow him. They are both lights of the world and that they have lights in them. Okay, How does God, how does Christ make Christians be a light in the world? And how does he put light in them also? The Bible tells us, John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So in this parable, the light or the lamp that these ten virgins get is God living inside of them. The Bible tells us that when somebody's saved or somebody's born again, God comes and lives inside of them. He puts this special uh, part of himself in us, which is really like him living in us. It's his Holy Spirit that he puts in us, and, and that makes us this special aroma or this special light for God. And not only does this light that we have shine from within us, and Paul speaks about how we have this aroma that comes out of us, this light in this life of this aroma that comes out of us, but he also says that our good works are like lights too, that, so do your good works before men so that they would see your good works and glorify God. So Christians, when they get saved, people, when they get saved, they get a light, they get the light of Christ, the light of God within them, God's Holy Spirit that lights them up, makes them makes us lights to the world, and then it makes us kind of do good godly works too. So according to Jesus Christ in both Matthew chapter 5 and ver- chapter 25, real Christians should shine both from the inside because of this aroma and this light, and by their good works they should shine on the outside. And Jesus says that they are here, he considers them in Matthew chapter 25, virgins. Remember, the the definition earlier, those that have set themselves apart or become chaste for God until Christ comes, or as Jesus says here, a virgin. So, these ten Christians take their lamps... Or you could say they take their salvation gift or gifts from God, which is God in God in them, or you know the Holy Spirit living in them, and they go out and they wait for Jesus Christ the, or their master or their or their husband to return. But sadly, as we read in verse two, or we'll read it in a second, they all did not respect. The gift that God gave them. Look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 2. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. How were the wise Christians wise or respectful of God's gift of his Holy Spirit or or him living in them? And how were the foolish Christians foolish or disrespectful of God's gift of his Holy Spirit living in them? In them, Jesus tells us in verse verses three and four. So let's read those and look how Jesus said they either were wise or they were foolish. Verse three: Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So the foolish Christians took no extra oil. I want you to notice this here. Point this out. The foolish Christians took no extra oil in another vessel along with the oil that was given them in the lamp. While, and I'll point this out why this is so, while the wise took the extra oil in another vessel along with what was given them in the lamp. Notice in verse 4 that they didn't just have oil in the lamps, Notice they had oil in other vessels that they could have, had. verse 4. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. The vessels were a separate container that the wise chose to store their oil in so that they would have some for later. But the oil lamp that was given them, the one that lightened them up, had oil in it also. So that's very key. Very important point there. I don't, don't forget about that as we continue to move on. So what is this oil now that Jesus is speaking of here that the wise took more of in an extra vessel, but the foolish didn't? What is this oil? So the foolish, remember, did not take extra oil. They only had the oil that was given them in the light that they got initially, while the wise took extra oil in another container, along with the oil that was in the vessels that they had. So what's the oil that Jesus is speaking of here that the wise took more of and the foolish didn't? And why were the foolish foolish? Because they didn't bring extra oil. I mean, why would just not bringing extra oil make you a foolish virgin? Why? Well, if you do some research on this topic of what the oil is in Matthew chapter 25, you'll find lots of opinions from those that have opinions on the, on the matter you know as you do the research the most prevalent opinion of what the oil is inside these vessels or inside these lamps is god's holy spirit that's what the most prevalent idea is about what is you know what this oil is is and many believe that the foolish were foolish. I'm going to go back to that. what I said earlier. That the five foolish were never saved. Many believed that the foolish were foolish because they never had the oil in them. Because they say that they never had the oil in them. They were never saved. They never really were Christians. They were never born again. And that's why if we go to the end of the parable, we'll read about why the foolish did not make it into the door. But Jesus shut the door. The bridegroom shut the door in Jesus' parable and he would not let them in. But is that how this scripture describes this oil? Does the scripture here describe the oil as the Holy Spirit of God? And is the oil really God's Holy Spirit? And are the foolish those who have never been born again or saved? I don't believe either one of these is true, and I'm going to tell you why. As I looked at the scripture to teach you, the prevalent opinion of this oil was in my mind. Because throughout my life as a Christian over the past 15 years, over, off, and on, that's what I'd heard too. Hell, you know, you just assume that that's what you hear, and the oil is the Holy Spirit, and that's what's accepted, and, and that's what, you know, the majority of people think, and so there, there it is. But as I started to read the Scripture over, and I started to look at the details of the oil, I started to pray, and I started to ask God, God, is this really, is this oil really the Holy Spirit? Because it just doesn't seem like, you know, the details here are really showing me that they're details of your Holy Spirit that you've made other at other points in Scripture. So I myself was unsure for a while this week as I was setting up this sermon. See, I don't want to be a false teacher. I don't want to just come up here and I don't want to just teach you what just the prevalent, prevailing thing I've heard, whether it's right or wrong, because I don't want to be a false teacher. Bible says that as a teacher of the Word of God, I'm held more accountable ...than those that don't teach the Word of God. So I prayed, and prayed, and prayed, and prayed, and prayed, and I saw God's face on this. And I believe that God showed me what the oil is, because I don't believe that the oil is God's Holy Spirit. And I do not believe that the five foolish virgins were not Christians. I believe that they were Christians, but they were backslidden away, and they stopped, and they had stopped falling Jesus Christ... And to make matters worse, what made my study and my, 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 my seeking of God's face even more on this is the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't tell us what the oil is here. Jesus never spoke on what the oil is here. But we can tell by the characteristics, and I'm going to show you what God showed me, and then you can make your decision at the end. Because it's very important, because this, this scripture is either a warning to Christians that are falling off the path, or it's just another scripture where Jesus is just describing what's going to happen to the lost, those that have never known. It's very important that we get the actual you know, heart of what God is saying here. So as I prayed, this is what God showed me. And as, and the details that God showed me about the oil, I'm going to show you. And I'm going to show you why I believe That the five Christians that were foolish were really Christians and they weren't just the lost and never been saved. I will give you the answers to all these and then I will show you what God showed me in the descriptions of the oil. As we move on in the scripture, I'll just be pointing them out. The answer, what is the oil that that these Christians had in their lamps? I believe what God showed me is the oil was their faith. Was simply their enduring or not enduring faith. And the five Christians were foolish, the five foolish Christians were foolish because they didn't continue to make sure they had enough faith unto the end. Or you could say they didn't hold strong in their faith into the end to endure. To the end, And before I even give you the reasons why I believe that, I just want you to think about the context here. Jesus tells all those at the end of both these illustrations, Watch, therefore, for you know, the, you know not the hour and the day and the minute or the, whatever the time of my coming. And the context is of a warning to those that are following him. That's who he's teaching here. Just think of that as we continue to move on. But the end result here for these five foolish beings, these human beings, whether you think that they're Christians or not Christians, the end result of these five foolish Christians was this. They didn't endure in their faith until the end, or they lost their faith in Jesus Christ and so they couldn't obtain eternal life, or they couldn't be let into the door and then let into the room, which is a representation of heaven at the rapture. See, I believe Paul spoke on this same thing about us enduring in our faith. Paul speaks about the same thing in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, but he uses an analogy of running. Listen, he says in, in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. So we know that there's lots of people that run in a race, right? Lots of people. But not everybody's going to win, right? There's going to be lots of losers in the race. And why do most people lose in a race? Is because they lose the desire as they keep going. Or they get tired because they didn't train hard enough. Either way, they all could have won, but yet some want to win more than others. Some want to endure more than others he goes on to say verse 25 and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things now they do it to obtain a perishable crown but we speaking of those that are following christ we for an imperishable crown therefore i run thus or or therefore i run this way so this is how i'm gonna run to obtain the prize and i bet you can understand what he's saying what the prize is the prize is eternal life of course here The prize is eternal life that Paul's speaking about. So I run this way for my imperishable crown. I run the race, the spiritual race, to get to heaven in this way, not with uncertainty. What does that mean? I run not in doubt or not in lack of faith. He says, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. You think about a beating air, that's somebody that's doing nothing. I'm beating the air, I'm not doing anything. He goes, but I distaste. Discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Least when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I run in a way in this race of faith to get to heaven like I want to win this race. I don't run this race to lose. I don't run it in doubt or in uncertainty. I run it with faith. And why? Because I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to lose the race. I run it with all my might. What is this a picture of? It's a picture of running the spiritual race of faith so that you don't lose when you get to the end, so that you're not the loser, so that you're the winner, so that you run and you stay faithful to the end, so that you stay strong unto the end, and that you make it into the gates of heaven. Paul didn't look at, okay, now once I'm saved, ooh, man, it's a smooth sail and shit from there. I'm good to go. Hey, I don't, all I got to do is walk now that I'm saved. No, he didn't say that. I run this way with faith. I run with strength. I run to win the race, not just to just finish. Oh, I'm just going to finish. It's a picture of the five fool of the five wise that took more faith. That they had their faith. They kept the faith. They kept the faith to the end. They re- continued to rely on Christ all the way to the end. As were the foolish? Well, they didn't. They lost their faith. They lost their hope in God. I'll keep, I'll show you that as I move on. As, and as I said, as I move on through the Scripture, I'm going to continue to show you know, what, what Jesus is saying here with things from this parable. I don't just expect you to believe me that the oil is, is, the, is, is faith here just because of one uh, you know, Scripture uh, from Paul out of Corinthians. Okay, So let's keep going on in our study for today. I'm going to recap real quick verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to point out some interesting things on the subject. So recapping where we've been, verse 1 tells us that they all had a lamp and they all went out to wait for Christ. Okay? And, who, and again, who else has a light from God and waits for Jesus Christ to return? Well, that's Christians. They were all considered chaste virgins. Okay? The saved, of course. Those are the ones who have a light and are waiting for Jesus Christ to return. Verses 3 and 4 say that they all had oil to begin with. The foolish just didn't have enough to endure. The foolish didn't take extra oil, but they just had the oil, or you could say, I'm going to say, the faith that was given them when they first believed, the saving faith that was given to them when they first believed. They all had oil to fuel their light to start. So now whether... I you think about this, those that are looking from this at a, at, a, at a reform standpoint here, whether oil is faith or God's Holy Spirit, these virgins have, all had it to start with. If the oil was truly God's Holy Spirit, the Bible says here in verses 3 and 4 that they all had it. So that means who gets the Holy Spirit but those that are saved. Now, let's look to verse 5. We're going to move a little quicker now. Verse 5, let's read it. Next verse. But while the bridegroom was delayed, <clears throat> so Jesus came, he left, right? He's in heaven, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. <clears throat> Jesus here puts both the five wise and the five foolish all in the same category. They were all waiting for him, and they all slumbered, and they all slept. Jesus Christ puts them together as they are one type of people. This time of sleeping, just so you know. Don't think, oh, well, the, Jesus says that the wise can slumber, the wise can sleep, the wise can do. No, 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 This time of slumbering, this time of sleeping is not a time of being, uh, you know, passive in their faith or, oh, well, I'm just going to lay down because we already know from Paul, he, he wasn't doing that. Why would we, right? This time of waiting, this time of slumber, this time of sleep was a time that was just representing the time between when Christ left And when Christ is going to come back. Excuse me. I had to take a drink of my water here. I'm losing my voice. Verse 6. At midnight, he goes on to say, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Verse 6 implies exactly what Jesus has taught before, right? He comes back at a time nobody expected. Not even the Christians are going to expect the exact time or date that He's going to come back. That's what Jesus said already. Okay, this cry goes out. Excuse me, He's coming. Go out to meet Him. So, who's who's crying here? Who's saying, "Hey, He's coming. Go out to meet Him." Well, Scripture already told us. Remember, Jesus said that although we won't know the date nor the time nor the hour, He said we will know the signs of His coming we will know the signs, that, we, that we'll see the signs that it's getting close and that he's at the door and, and he's knocking. So here in verse 6, Jesus is at the door and ready to knock and the signs are the ones calling out, go out and prepare yourselves to meet him, Christians, for he's almost there. Okay, Verse 7, <clears throat> then all those virgins, notice he said all those virgins. He didn't say, Well, the five wise did this, and then the five foolish did this. No, no, no. All the virgins, (coughs) all those chaste, all those who had repented and turned to God, all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. What is he saying? Trimming their lamps. I see another reason here why all ten virgins were really saved. Some were just kind of backsliding while the others were pushing forward strong in their faith as paul said in first corinthians what is trimming of a lamp well i had to research this because i don't know i'm a city boy i don't know these things what is the trimming of a lamp well according to those that know because i found out now the trimming of a lamp is when you have a lamp lit and it's got oil in it and it's burning and what you're doing when you're trimming it is is as the wick is burning, you're trimming the, the, the charred top off the wick so that it's making a cleaner light that's coming to burn. I mean, a, light, a lamp will still continue to burn whether you trim the wick or not. But why you trim the wick is so that you get a brighter light. I always thought that you trimmed a wick to start a lamp. No, the lamp was going here for them their lamps both the five foolish and the five wise their lamps were burning and when the cry came they all got up and they all trimmed their dull lights because all their lights had kind of you know had been dulled out because they got the little black they got the little you know charred tip on them and they trimmed them to brighten them up so why because you don't need a light if you're not going to walk anywhere you just need a light you know to see the surrounding area but when the call's coming, he's come, or he's coming, go out to meet him. Then you need a bright light, right, to go see him. So all the virgins get up, they all trim their lamps, all their lamps are running and roaring light, and then they all start to go to meet the bridegroom, right? That means that the oil or fate that they all had in their lamps when they first went out to meet, uh, to, you know, to wait for Jesus was still burning the whole time that they waited, which means that all the virgins still had oil or faith in them at the point, at about the point of Christ's return. So all of their oil or faith had been burning the whole time Jesus was away, but now he's at the door and ready to knock. The foolish realize they don't have enough oil to be with him when he returns. They don't have enough oil to make it to the place, to, to, to go through the dark, right? Their faith wasn't there. Their faith was there, but it was failing. Their faith was there, but it was, it was, it was weak. They, they really weren't strong in their faith at this point. Okay, Look at what they do in verse 8. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Guys, our faith is getting weak. Help us. Have more faith. Help us, please. Have More faith, give us some of yours," they say, because ours is running out. Again, I see these five foolishes. Their faith was there, but as they continued living, and as they went through the trials of this life, because we all have trials in this life, as they continued to go through the hardships of this life, what happens? What happens? What's what's prone to happen to all of us? As our faith gets weak. Oh, woe is me, God. Look at all that I'm struggling with. Oh, God. Oh, man, Lord. Look at all these problems and these hardships I'm going through. My faith, Lord. Oh, it's it's weak. But you see, these wise, or these foolish, excuse me, they weren't being wise because they weren't going back to the ones that sell. They weren't going back to God and saying, renew my faith. They were just letting life beat them down. They were just letting life just kick them in the teeth and they weren't getting up. But now that the call's gone out, now that we're seeing the signs, whoa, the signs are there. Now they're like, now the call's there and it's coming, but they're like, but I I know, but I'm I'm lukewarm now. Oh, man, I just can't make it. Hey, give me some of yours. Give me some of yours. And we'll get to the response of the wise. But I want to point out a huge point here of why the oil is not God's Holy Spirit. This is the biggest point that God showed me in all this scripture as to why the oil is not God's Holy Spirit. Notice here in verse 8 that they all had the oil faith. We've already talked about that. And it was burning their lights to to light their wicks and lamps and that they had all gotten and that they had all just trimmed. But you see, the foolish, remember, the oil was running out, right? And they didn't have enough to win toward Jesus returned. Now, if the oil represents God's Holy Spirit here, can we have God's Holy Spirit and then He can run out of us? That's ridiculous, folks. That is ridiculous. That is anti-Bible. That is anti-Christ. You cannot have the Holy Spirit of God and then the Holy Spirit run out of you like a bathtub that's draining water. Oh, the water's running out of the bathtub. We better pour some more. Oh, well, we better get some more of God's Holy Spirit because God's Holy Spirit's running out of us. We got Ephesians 4.30 where Paul writes, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That means that when you're saved, at the day, the moment that you are saved, that you seek God, you search God, you invite God into your life, He comes in, He puts His Holy Spirit in you, He lives inside of you, and then He seals you. An unbreakable seal uh, from the most unbreakable God in the universe, in the whole world, in ev- and everywhere. He seals you, okay? You can never lose God's Holy Spirit once you have it. That's just what the Bible says. Paul just said that once you have God's Holy Spirit within you, you cannot lose Him ever because you're sealed. That means as long as you're alive in this flesh, you will not lose God's Holy Spirit. But, a lot of people glaze over this one here. Paul does say in Ephesians there that we can quench Him. What does this mean? What does it mean that we quench God's Holy Spirit? That means that you can deny his leading for your life and you can just simply not listen to him. He's living within you, but you just say, <clears throat> eh. he tells you to do something. "Eh." You can quench him, which means you can strangle him within you. You can bind him. You can not allow him to speak or just not listen to him. And the Bible says that if we make a lifestyle of doing this, basically we turn away from God and having faith and we stop following Jesus Christ. But, The key is, even if you quench the Holy Spirit that's living within you, it doesn't mean that He leaves. You're sealed. You got Him until the day you die. The only bad thing is when you stand before God, your judgment will be even more just. It'll be even more of a penalty because you had God's Spirit living within you and you chose not to obey Him. So when you die, you'll be judged as a sinner, but worse than a sinner. Because as the Bible says, like a dog returning to his vomit, so, is those, so are those that have been enlightened, but turn back from the path. So the Bible says that you can't lose God's Holy Spirit once you have him, period, the end. But the Bible does say that we can run out of something else. There is one other thing that we can run out of. There is one other thing that we can cast away, you could say. And what is that? What can we run out of? What can we cast away? We can cast away our faith. We can cast away our confidence. Hebrews 10, uh, 35 to 39. He says, uh, The writer of Hebrews, he says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. So after that, you have done the will of God. You may receive the promise. Yet for uh, for yet a little while, and he was coming, will come and not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Not by the Holy Spirit. The just shall live by faith. But listen to what he says. But if anyone draws back, what's it mean to draw back? Quench the Holy Spirit. I draw back from my faith. I cast my faith away. If anyone draws back, my soul is no pleasure in him. And what happens if we draw back from our faith or draw back from God after we've been his? Verse 39 but we are not of those who draw back to perdition so you can draw back from your faith perdition is hell but of those who believe to the saving of their souls paul is base or the writer of hebrews well, i believe it's paul i don't think that's a secret i don't know if the christian world's afraid to say that but anyway the writer of hebrews says that if you draw back from your faith you'll go to hell but if you endure and you'll be saved so we're not the foolish Virgins, the writer of Hebrews says, We're the wise virgins, the ones that are enduring, the ones that are pushing on. Paul says, I run the race, right? With endurance, with strength, not as one beating the air. So to me, I see here the Bible says the oil is the faith of a Christian that he has and he can endure with it to the end or sadly he can cast it away and draw back from God unto perdition. And look at the response now that the foolish ask the wise here for their faith or for their oil. What's the response of the, of the wise in verse 9? But the wise answered saying, No. We can't give it to you. Least we should not have enough of, uh, for, for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Translation, guys, we can't give you our faith. It's ours. We can't give that faith to you. You've got to have your own faith. And you know, ironically, the Bible says the same thing. Bible says that you or me or my wife or my sons or my neighbors or my co-workers... They can't get to heaven on my faith. They can't get to heaven on your faith. Neither can you or I get to heaven on their faith. Bible says that we all have to have our own faith and our, and our trust in God and our own. That none of us can piggyback on somebody else and say, "Well, Well, because my daddy had a lot of faith, then God, you're going to accept me too. That's not how it works. You have faith before God. I have faith before God, or you don't have faith before God, and I don't have faith, but we are not getting to heaven because you have faith and I don't. There's a real neat saying that's gone around for I don't know how long, and it goes like this. God has no grandchildren, which means God only has children. You're either a child of God or you're not. You're not adopted into God's kingdom because your daddy or your uncle or your auntie just love God with all their hearts. Either you love God and you have faith in him or you don't. So they also tell the foolish there in verse nine that they should go to those who sell the oil or faith and buy it from them. I believe that this is another huge point why this oil is not God's Holy Spirit, but your faith. and that's this number see here, if God if it, if the oil is God's holy Spirit, can we go buy him? Can you go somewhere and purchase from somebody the gift of the Holy Spirit? That would mean then. That you could just go buy your salvation. Because we know that being born again is being saved. Okay? So then that means that you could go buy your salvation. Well, sorry. The Bible says you cannot buy the gift of God by money. You, you just can't. So here, therefore, this oil cannot be the Holy Spirit because we can't buy Him. Peter in Acts eighteen or 8.18 chastised an ex-sorcerer named Simon because he asked to buy the Holy Spirit. And he said to him, Your money perish with you because you can't buy the gift of God. Okay. So if not God's Holy Spirit, what else is Jesus saying that we can go buy more of then from somebody? Well, people cannot buy God's Holy Spirit, but they can go to God's Word and read it and eat it spiritually, and in a spiritual sense, buy or get more faith from all those that were faithful in the Bible that stayed faithful to God, right? As we go to the Bible and we read the Bible, we read about Abraham. We read about Moses. We read about the patriarchs and all of those, the gods that persevered, Enoch, who walked with God and then he was no more. And then we can get faith from them or from God's Word, right? Interesting enough, the Bible says in Romans 10:17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So the wise tell the foolish, go and get more faith. Or in other words, repent of your unbelief and get back to the basics with God in the Word of God and put your faith back in God in Christ. But Unfortunately, it was a little too late for them to be taken in the rapture. Note here, we can and we do parallel this scripture to death, but mainly this was Jesus talking to us about the rapture about the coming of the time of the rapture. That is actually the entire context back when the disciples first asked Jesus, can you tell us what are the signs of the times and and when your coming will be, remember? So we can parallel it to life or to death and to heaven and hell, but but the main objective of Jesus' teaching here is be ready and wait until I get back. So, because they weren't... In the ready or watchful, faithful, and repentant state, what happens to the foolish or unwise Christians here in verse 10? It says, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. You see, the wise, those that were ready, Those that had their faith up on high, those that had their faith ready, those that were strong walking with God, they went right in during the rapture. But the foolish, the door was shut behind them. The term, while they went there, shows me that these really were those who were saved because, listen, they heard the call, then they went after the advice of the wise to go get more faith. Somebody that knew God's coming and then goes to get more faith shows me that these guys had a faith to begin with. But while they went and were trying to get back in their faith with Jesus Christ, Jesus came instantly and took those who were ready away to the wedding supper of the Lamb into heaven. And the door was closed behind them and the opportunity for these foolish Christians was closed. It was over. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, the rapture will be like a flash. In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, And he says, "...at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed." And it's all going to happen in the blink of an eye. Quick! And then it's all gone. All the Christians are going to be gone. All those that faithfully followed Christ are going to go right away. And those that were backslidden, those that never knew, They're going to be left behind. So the opportunity of being raptured was over. And the door was closed. And what does Jesus Christ say happens to those who weren't ready in the instant that he came to rapture God's kids away that weren't ready? Verse 11 and 12. Afterward, the other virgins came. After the rapture. After they weren't ready to begin with. But after now, they came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. <clears throat> sadly for those who are lukewarm or backslidden, there's only, one, there's only one second coming of Christ. There's only one rapture of God's kids. There's only one marriage supper of the land, and if you miss it because you lost your faith, you missed it. There's no going back. And there's no going back when it comes to rapture, and there's no com- going back when it comes to death. If you're not ready at death to go home and for God to approve you when you stand before him and to say, well done, good and faithful servant, then that's your only chance you get. The Bible says it's only appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. The Bible says we better be ready or else we won't make it to heaven or the rapture. Which is why Jesus closes this parable with verse 13. He closes it with another exhortation. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. He gives them then, and he gives us now, another exhortation to live a watchful lifestyle. To live a lifestyle of being faithful, being repentant, and being ready to go so that when he comes or whether we die, We're ready to stand before God, and he'll approve us. Jesus Christ just taught two consecutive illustrations on the same topic of continuing to live a watchful or faithful and repentant lifestyle until he comes. We know that he only taught this parable, these these two illustrations like that, because he really wants to emphasize, (coughs) hey, guys, be ready. Be ready watchful, stay faithful, stay in repentance until I come back. He wanted to emphasize, because guess what? Like I just opened up with today, our eternal life to him is his top priority. And he wants to make sure that we are ready and that when we die or that when we're raptured, we're ready to stand before God and he'll approve us. Jesus gave these parables and illustrations like this so that people would hear his words and consider his exhortation to take heed to what he said and live a watchful, faithful, repentant lifestyle until the end and so that we don't fall away. Jesus Christ wants you to be ready to stand before God and get a favorable judgment and be accepted whether he returns or whether you die first. Both of these teachings can be summed up in this one age-old, divinely inspired saying. I don't know who said it at first. If you know, please email me, or please call me, my number and my name, on the website and everything. I'd love to know, but all of what Jesus just spoke about here in these last two illustrations, this one parable and last week's teaching, In this one saying, and boy, it is divinely inspired. And the saying goes like this. You better get right or you're going to be left. And you can pause and say, for the rapture behind, that is. Right? So I ask everyone that's listening to me. I ask everybody that's listening, whether you're coming from another country, whether you're in my home, wherever you are, I want to ask Everybody listening to this message today. If you consider yourself a Christian, is your faith standing strong in Christ or have you backslidden away from God? Have you become lukewarm in your faith in Him? Would God consider you a wise virgin or would He consider you a foolish virgin? If your faith in Christ has been growing weak, you will notice that, first of all, your intimate relationship is going to be struggling with God first. And if your faith is growing weak and is failing, you'll notice that maybe sin won't bother you that much anymore. You'll just be able to sin, or, or sin, you'll see things, and sin doesn't bother you. It's, oh, it's, you know, it's sin is sin, right? That's not a good thing. Sin should bother you if you're strong and faithful in God. If your faith is failing or weak, you may notice that you may be ashamed to be around other Christians. Maybe you don't want to talk to other Christians. You don't even want to talk about God because you just think, well, you know, they're going to find out. They're going to find out that I'm not really living for Christ. Oh, no, I just, you know what? I'd just rather stay away from them. If your faith is failing or, or it's weak or you're not holding on, you won't really hear to care to hang around with followers of Christ and and you're ashamed to talk to others about Christ and there's a lot of other indicators but these are just a few but either way you won't be hot you won't be on fire you won't be caring to read your bible you'd just be sleeping in and you'd be just really growing lazy and that's some indicators of if you're if you're backsliding, if you're falling away from Christ. Because if you really love Christ, like you really have a wife and you really love a wife, or you really have a husband and you really love a husband, you're going to talk to them nice all the time. You're going to be friends with their friends. You're going to love them. You're going to do things with them. You're going to do things for them. And if you don't see yourself doing those things for Jesus, and you just don't see that at all, then chances are you could be in danger of falling away if you haven't already fallen away to begin with. So... If you realize that your faith is failing and you are backslidden right now, the plea from Christ Jesus and from me is this today. Get right with God today before you get left. Because it's no joke. Get right before you get left. Whether you die first or he comes to rapture you, Jesus wants you to be ready to stand before God and be accepted. Are you ready, if you met God today, are you ready for Him to tell you? Do you think He'd tell you, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord? Or will He say, like Jesus here today, there's two different things. Matthew chapter 7, to false converts, He said, Be gone, I never knew you. Or if you're backslidden the way you knew Him, He says here today, I don't know you. Meaning, you're not my friend anymore. Which one do you think you'd hear him say? Please, if you're not right, (coughs) you're going to get left. So get right today before you get left, before you die, before you face God face to face and he says, be gone or I don't know you. That's bad news. So get right. Repent. Turn to Christ. Ask him for forgiveness and, and then go and buy From those that sell faith? From God? God, give me more faith. God, I need more faith. God, please give me more faith. And go to God's word and look at all the bad things that all the people that follow God had to go through and see how they faithfully kept going and then take courage from them as well too. Please. Maybe you've never taken the step to come to Christ ever at all and you've never been saved. Ah, You know that Christian stuff? Well, Jesus loves you. And He died for your sins. And He paid the penalty for you so that you would not have to die and you would not have to go to hell. He laid down His life to give you eternal life. Nobody will love you that way on this earth, whether it be your mom, dad, best friend, or whatever. Nobody's going to love you the way Jesus Christ loved you. I consider, I, I pray you consider His love for you and look at God's love for you in His Word and seek Him and come to repent and turn to Him as well too. Because God's waiting for you to come too, especially if you're listening to this message and you've never known Him. God wants you to repent. God wants you to turn to Him. And God wants you to get saved too. That's why Jesus came, to save those that are lost. Will you please get right before you get left? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, Lord God Almighty in heaven, thank you so much, Lord God, for your love. Thank you so much for your cry, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you're crying out to the people that are listening to this message right now. Get right, please, right now, or you're going to get left. Please, my child, please, the lost sheep, please turn to me. And turn to me now, before it's too late. And I come and get my children, and the rapture's over, or you die first, and you end up going to hell because you rejected me and my love. Please, dear God, I pray that any that are listening to this message, that you would reach out to them right now and that you would draw them to Christ and that you would save them. Or those that are backslidden, Lord, I pray that you would, they would come to you or they would come to your word and they'd start buying that faith. And Lord God, I pray that they would just turn and turn back to you and make their focus all about you and not about this world anymore. Please, God, reach the people with this message, Lord. Please, God, draw the people to Christ by this message. Show people how much you love them. And when I ask these things and we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name, God. Amen.